Well, we come this morning to our final lesson in the prophecy of Jonah. And in so doing, we're going to be uh, looking at and pondering together Jonah chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Jonah 4. And for context's sake, I'm going to begin reading in verse 10 of chapter 3. Verse 10 of chapter 3 and reading through the end of Jonah 4. Let us now hear God's word. When God saw what they did, that is the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But, but it pleased Jonah exceedingly, displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Jonah is a book filled with the unexpected. And as we've seen, and we've seen this throughout our studies, that it's a book filled with the unexpected. I mean, think about it. When Jonah call, got, was called by God to go to Nineveh, what do we expect? We expect him to obey. But instead, he runs away. When God hurled a great storm on the sea, we expect Jonah to cry out to his God, but instead he remains silent, leaving it to pagan sailors to do what he, as a prophet, should have done. When Jonah's thrown overboard, we expect him to drown, but instead he's swallowed up and saved by a great fish. And then when Jonah finally goes to Nineveh, and preaches God's word of judgment, what do we expect? Well, we expect the Ninevites to reject it. Yet amazingly, in response to Jonah's message, the Ninevites believed God and repented. And because they did, God relented. 
As we read in verse 10 of chapter 3, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You see, the pronouncement of divine judgment always contains the promise of divine mercy. Mercy that can only be received through faith-filled repentance. And because the people of Nineveh repented, because they turned from their sin so as to turn to God, God showed them His great mercy. And in light of what God did in Nineveh, how do we expect Jonah to respond? We expect him to rejoice. To rejoice in the fact that the God who had shown him great mercy had now shown that very same mercy to the city of Nineveh. We expect Jonah to be exceedingly glad. But instead, we find him exceedingly displeased and angry. Now, if we were literary critics, the word we'd use for the way this book ends is the word anticlimactic. For after all the amazing things that we've seen in this book, to now have it end in this way is just a bit disappointing. It's a letdown to see this prophet who's experienced so much of God's saving grace personally and now in the lives of others to see him at the end basically throwing a temper tantrum like a spoiled child, to see him raging at God and at Nineveh. This isn't the ending we expect, yet it's the ending we get. And because the book of Jonah is Holy Scripture, it's the ending we need, an ending meant to challenge us and to change us, to change our Jonah-like hearts. Now, in considering this strange ending, this unexpected ending, I want us to focus on two things in particular, the reason for Jonah's anger and the remedy for Jonah's anger. So first then, the reason for Jonah's anger. Verse 1 makes clear Jonah isn't just a little upset at God sparing the Ninevites. No, he was exceedingly displeased and angry. He was hopping mad. He was boiling over with rage. To him, it was a complete disaster for God to relent of the disaster he said he'd bring on the Ninevites. Showing mercy to a malicious people was morally repugnant in the mind of Jonah. It was a great evil to him for God to pardon this evil people. And therefore, Jonah was quick to anger because God was slow to anger toward the Ninevites. Put simply, Jonah was angry because God had shown mercy to the wrong people. You see, Jonah as a Jew relished the reality that his God was merciful as long as that mercy was directed at his people and not those people. But as soon as God showed mercy to them, Jonah no longer relished it. He raged against it. And what's interesting here is that Jonah from the outset had a feeling, sort of a gut feeling, that his merciful God would actually show mercy to the wicked Ninevites. He says as much at the beginning of his prayer in verse 2, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to Tarshish. I knew you would show them mercy. I just knew you were going to do something like this, that you would actually show your covenant mercy 
to a corrupt people. That's why I ran. I didn't want to see you make the mistake that you've now made. But now you've made it. And I am rightfully angry. Angry because your mercy knows no bounds. Now again, Jonah had no problem with God being merciful as long as his mercy was reserved for Israel. For when he prays, I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He's actually quoting back to God, God's own self-revelation. And in particular, the self-revelation God had given to Moses. We remember the story in Exodus, how God, rather than destroying Israel after they engaged in idolatry with the golden calf, what did God do? He threatened judgment, but He showed them mercy. He forgave them. Israel had broken covenant with their God. Yet God in His mercy renewed His covenant with His sinful people. And in light of this, in light of what God did, Moses asked God boldly, show me your glory. To which God responded, it's fatal to see my glory face to face. So here's what I'll do. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock so that when my goodness passes by, you won't see my face, but only my back. And that's what happened. For in Exodus 34, we read how God's goodness passed before Moses. And as it did, God proclaimed His covenant name, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. But I will by no means clear the guilty. In declaring His name, God was saying that He's both loving and just, that He both forgives and punishes sin, that He's both holy and compassionate. And this is indeed a mystery, one that finds its ultimate fulfillment and full expression only in Christ. In Christ who bore the wrath of the holy God so that the mercy of God might flow to all who believe and repent. But in the days of the Old Testament, it remained a mystery how God can be both just and merciful. Yet even though it was a mystery, Israel continually experienced this mystery in their covenant life with their God. For so often, Israel deserved judgment for their sin. Yet time and time again, God showed them His undeserved mercy. And they knew this. Jonah knew this. But in knowing it, he and Israel began to take God's mercy for granted. They began to see God's mercy as somehow deserved, which is an oxymoron. Deserved because they were Israel and not Gentile dogs like everybody else. The rest of the world... Well, they deserve judgment, but Israel deserves mercy. And therefore, God was expected to show it to them and withhold it from everybody else. And therefore, when God had the audacity, the audacity to show mercy to Nineveh, to Israel's bitter enemies, Jonah was angry. He was angry that God wasn't acting in the way Jonah thought he should. Jonah was good with God as long as God remained a God in Jonah's image. 
He was happy with God as long as God met his expectations. But as soon as God didn't, Jonah's glad pleasure in God turned into mad displeasure. And here he gets so angry, so angry that he wants to die. He's basically saying, if you're not going to be the God I want you to be, then life's not worth living. If you're not going to meet my expectations, then I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want to live in a world where you act like this. Now, at one level, we call it the national level, Jonah's anger seems justified. For in his mind, the saving of Nineveh, God sparing Nineveh, was a threat to Israel. If Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria, was spared, then Israel's welfare could be in danger. Because again, Assyria was Israel's cruel enemy. And because Jonah cared for Israel's safety, it made no sense to him that God would show mercy to Israel's enemies. But rather than trust God with his concern, he raged against God. And in raging against him, Jonah was accusing God of being unjust and uncaring toward Israel. How can you care for us if you also care for them? God, you need to get your priorities straight here. And you really see what's happening. If you really listen to what Jonah's saying, you see, his anger was actually revealing something about his heart. And in particular, the idols of his heart. It was revealing his his ultimate loyalty and love, which weren't for God, but for his country and his race. Which means Jonah only saw God, related to God, as a means to an end. That end being Israel's protection, preservation, and pleasure. God's forgiveness of Nineveh was a threat to Israel. So if Jonah had to choose between God or Israel... Who is he going to pick? Israel. He loved Israel more than he loved the God of Israel. Now, was it wrong for Jonah to love his country? Is it wrong for us to love our country? No, love of country is good. But because we're sinful, what's naturally good can become exceedingly evil. When love of country... Love of political or economic or military interest usurp and replace our love for God, which is to always be our first love, then that love for country, our political persuasion, or whatever it might be, can become and does become idolatrous. For Jonah, all that really mattered was his and Israel's comfort and protection. And in order to maintain this, Jonah believed that God was obligated, obligated to judge Nineveh. That's why J Jonah was rooting for Nineveh's destruction, because all he cared about was Israel's welfare. And the same can be true for us. When we care more for our own comfort and protection our own national, political, or racial interest, when we care more for these things than we do the good of others, the salvation of others, well, all we're doing is walking in the way of self-centered Jonah. We're sinning like Jonah. 
And in so doing, we're revealing that our fundamental identity is more rooted in self than it is in Christ and His compassion. And you see, in substituting country and race for God, Jonah was actually forgetting the very call God had originally placed on Israel. God had called Israel, showed compassion to Israel that Israel might what? Bless the nations with the very compassion that God had first shown them. But Jonah forgot this. He cared only for his people, so much so that the rest of the world could burn. And so when Nineveh didn't burn, Jonah burned in anger. He threw a self-centered, self-righteous temper tantrum. And after everything God had done for him, we kind of expect God's had enough. God's finally going to take this old prophet out. And yet the same God who spared Jonah when he acted like the prodigal and ran from his God now spares him again when he acts like the elder brother and rages against his God. Rages against his God because God was merciful. You see, God wasn't through with Jonah. Not yet. Still, not yet. And that's a comfort to us. To us who so often act like Jonah For God's mercy and compassion is so great, so amazing that it continues to pursue us in our waywardness and rage. We don't deserve it. Yet God continues to give it because He's merciful. And so once again, God pursues His wayward prophet. And He does so not by overlooking Jonah's sin, sort of just sweeping it under the rug, He pursues him by exposing his sin. And he begins this work by, first of all, asking a gentle question. A gentle yet probing question. Verse 4, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry that I showed the same mercy to them that I've shown to you and to your people? How'd Jonah respond? Silence. Silence and retreat. He doesn't say anything. Rather, he departs east of the city where he then constructs for himself a makeshift shelter to shade him from the heat of the sun. And in that shelter, what was he doing? Well, I imagine he was continuing to brood, but he was also had a little bit of hope. What was his hope? What was his hope? That his hope was that God would finally relent of his relenting and judge these wicked people. The 40 days have come and gone. Jonah's blown up at his God. He's made his case with God. He goes outside the city and he thinks, maybe God's listened to me. Maybe God's seen it from my point of view. We can imagine him mumbling to himself. Maybe today's the day that God will finally see that my point of view is justified. Maybe today he'll see his mistake. Yet with each passing day, Nineveh continued to stand. But what didn't stand was Jonah's makeshift shelter. For over time, it began to crumble. So that more and more, the heat of the sun began to match the heat in Jonah's heart. Jonah was burning inside and out. And yet in seeing him there, God began to slowly creep up on him for the purpose of challenging him and changing him. 
And that brings us to our second point. Second thing I want to focus on, and that is the remedy for Jonah's anger. And what was the remedy? Well, it's the three providential appointments of the plant, the worm, and the wind. For when God saw his prophet melting under the heat of the sun, he and his sovereign, his sovereign providence, sovereign power, first appointed an enormous plant to grow quickly and miraculously over Jonah's head so as to give him saving shade. Because Jonah's shelter, his makeshift shelter, was insufficient, God in his mercy provided a large plant. How'd Jonah respond to this appointment? Well, we're told he was exceedingly glad. Under the cooling shade of the plant, Jonah's anger began to cool. His rage was beginning to turn into rejoicing because Jonah loved this plant. This was his precious plant. So precious that we can imagine him talking to it, telling the plant about his adventure and making his case for why Nineveh needed to be destroyed. It's as if this is his only companion out there east of the city. We can also imagine Jonah interpreting this plant as a sign that God really was on his side. And that soon God would come around to his point of view. And so for a day, Jonah was extremely happy. Maybe life was worth living after all because I have my plant. I have the comfort of my plant. But then it happened. For early the next morning, God had another appointment for Jonah. A worm. And this tiny worm with a big appetite ate the inside of Jonah's precious plant. And as a result, the plant withered and died. In his severe mercy, the God who gave the plant took it away. And again, we can imagine the scene. Jonah wakes up and he quickly realizes that even though it's only morning, he's already hot. Where's my shade? Plant only to see it withered and dead off to the side. His beloved plant was no more. And to make matters worse, or perhaps better, God had a third appointment for his prophet. It was a scorching east wind, a wind that came as the sun rose in the sky. And and this wind was so harsh that it it made Jonah feel as if he were in a, a furnace, literally in a furnace. He began to suffer sunstroke. He became faint. He was near the point of death. He was in such agony that he wanted to die. Now here's a question. Was God merely playing games with his prophet? One day giving him the comfort of the plant, the next day exposing him to the deathly elements of the worm and the sun and the wind. No, God wasn't playing games with Jonah. Rather, he was using these providences to get Jonah's attention. He was using his providential appointments to draw Jonah back into fellowship with himself. For the purpose of God's providence in the lives of God's children, whether that providence be harsh or soft, is to show us our sin so as to lead us back to him, to lead us back to him in faith and repentance. But again, Jonah doesn't get it. For instead of repenting, he starts his raging all over again. And so again, God asked him, do you do well to be angry? But notice this time, God didn't leave the question open-ended. Rather, he added specificity to it. Do you do well to be angry? 
about the plant. Because again, the providence of the plant as well as the worm and the wind were God's lessons to bring Jonah to this point where his eyes might finally be opened. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes. Yes, shouts Jonah. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. If you're going to take away my precious plant, I don't want to live. If I can't have my little comfort, I just want to die. Jonah wanted to be done with God, but thankfully God still wasn't done with Jonah. And so he presses in further in these final two verses. He presses in to show Jonah his inconsistency so that in seeing it, he might repent and return to his God. You can just hear the scene going something like this. Jonah, says God, let's think about this for a moment. You pity a plant, a plant you didn't sow or tend, a plant you didn't cause to grow, a plant that was only here for one day. You pity your plant. So if you pity this insignificant plant, isn't it right for me to pity this people? Shouldn't I pity that great city in which there are 120,000 persons made in my image? Persons who don't know their right hand from their left. That is people who don't know right from wrong apart from me. If you think it's right for you to pity a plant, isn't it right for me as the creator of all things to pity them and to pity even their animals? If you're passionate about a plant that protected you from the burning heat of the sun for a day, isn't it right for me to be compassionate for them by protecting them from my wrath for all of eternity? And it's at this point, with this question, that we expect Jonah to fall on his knees and confess his self-centeredness, to confess that his view of God's compassion has been too narrow and self-focused but that's not what we get. Rather, we're simply left with God's question and Jonah's silence. In the end, we get no answer from Jonah. Did he ever get it? Well, we can hope he did because we have this story that must have come from him. But at this point, we don't know. All we're left with is this unanswered question. But you see, that's the point. For at the end, God's question is no longer posed just to Jonah. It's also posed to you and to me. It's directed to our hearts for the purpose of exposing our Jonah-like tendencies, to expose our inconsistency when it comes to God's compassion. And when this question comes to us, it's not enough for us to answer, yes, Lord, it's right for you to show compassion. Good for you to show compassion. No, the only right answer here is this. Yes, Lord, you should show compassion because of who you are and because you're gracious and merciful, and so should I. If I belong to you, if I'm a recipient of your saving and forgiving compassion, then I am to be compassionate toward others. My friends, God is compassionate. 
He's the divine philanthropist. He's the lover of humanity, sinful humanity. And in his love, he's shown his compassion to us. And he's done so in a way. He's done so in a way that far exceeds the compassion he showed to Jonah. Yes, Jonah knew God's compassion through the great fish. But we know God's compassion through the cross. Where Christ, where in Christ the just God judged and punished all our sins so that we might be forgiven. God's promised just judgment has fallen. And it's fallen on his son. And it has so that God's mercy might flow to us on the cross. Jesus took the full heat of God's judgment that we might know the shade of his mercy and forgiveness. In Jesus, God wept over us and suffered for us, us who were sinners. He had every right to remain angry with us. He had every right to cling to his comfort, yet in compassion, God in Jesus was willingly crushed for us. He laid aside all for us. He pursued us all the way to horrific death and beyond which means our lives as Christians are founded on God's compassion for us, His unimaginable compassion that led Him to suffer hell on the cross, that we might not suffer hell forever. Do you see the mercy and compassion that God has shown you? Have you received it? Are you resting in it? And if you are, then the one thing you can't do is hoard His compassion. For God hasn't shown us compassion to hoard His compassion. No, He's shown us compassion that we might honor it by showing it to others, even our enemies, our political enemies, our familial enemies, our national enemies. For the reception of divine compassion, which transformed us from being enemies of God into children of God, the reception of divine compassion is always to lead to our reflecting His compassion to others. Jonah was more concerned for his plant than he was for people, and especially unsaved people. He was more concerned with his comfort than he was with Nineveh knowing God's saving compassion. To Jonah, the Ninevites were nothing more than kindling, heir of God's judgment. You can effectively hear him saying, God, give me my plant and those people can go straight to hell. They can go straight to hell for all I care. And whether we want to admit it or not, we're often like Jonah. We care more about our plants, our hobbies, our sports, our social media profiles, our political persuasions, our reputations and comforts than we do the salvation of the lost. And I say this to myself as much as I say it to you. You know, it really is unexpected, unbelievable to see Jonah's heart remaining so hard toward God's compassion, especially after being a recipient of so much of God's compassion. But how much more unbelievable is it that the same can so often be said about us 
How we who can know so much of God's bleeding and suffering compassion in Christ heard so much of God's gracious word, so often feasted at his table of mercy, so often sung the praises of his love and forgiveness, and yet still care more about our plants than we do the salvation of the lost. Salvation that brings glory to our compassionate God. My friends, the story of Jonah is meant to humble us so as to drive us to the cross where we see afresh the infinite and sovereign compassion of our good and holy God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus that we actually see the glory of God face to face. It's in Jesus that we come to know that the holy and just God is indeed merciful, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And it's only as we bask in the compassionate shade of the cross that we'll be enabled to show God's compassion to others, to those others that are hard to show compassion to. And I'm sure at least one person has come to your mind that's in your life that God has called you to show His compassion. And I know this is a hard lesson, but God in His goodness and providence is committed to teaching us this lesson for His glory, our good, and the good of others. By God's enduring and pursuing compassion, may we go less and less in the way of Jonah and more and more in the way of Jesus our compassionate Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, this is a rough ending to a story, and yet it is what we need. Help us to continue to hear it. Use it to drive us to Christ. Use it to show us how much we are like Jonah and how much we need Jesus. May the compassion that you have shown to us in Christ not be something that we simply confess with our lips, but hold dear in our hearts that it might be seen in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen.